Welcome back to the Energy Fitness Podcast, everyone. Today, I had the opportunity of talking to Jacob Huckabee, the owner of Hard Knock Adventures, where he guides hunters all across the world. And right now, he's prepping for elk season. And we talk about why a guide like Jacob is so important to have and to find, especially if you are not from the area, you don't have leased land, and you're hunting on your own or with a couple other people and why it's so important to have someone like Jacob who is committed to your safety, committed to you having a good hunt, committed to you having a good experience. Elk hunting is not like hunting of any other kind. As far as difficult hunts go, elk is up there in the hardest, um, you know, besides something like sheep or something like that where you're actually like scaling mountainsides and shit like that. Elk is not easy to hunt, which means you need to be in top physical condition if you're going to go into the woods. And it's really important to have someone like Jacob who is committed to health and fitness where he's trained himself well enough that if something were to happen to you in the woods, he would be able to carry your ass out of there. We talk about how important it is to be healthy and fit when you go on a hunt, how that helps you be a better hunter, how that helps you connect with your ancestral being, helps you be a better individual all the way around. And uh, Jake was a great guest. If you want to learn more about him, I'll give you a little bit of information right here where you can find him before we dive into the show. You can find him and his services, his hunting services, his guiding and outfitting services at hardknockadventures.com. You can also find him on Instagram at hardknockadventures. And this was a fun show. Jacob is a good friend of mine um, who I've not known for very long, less than a year, but I've already decided through you know some... We've exercised together, we have suffered together in some ice plunges and some high intensity training sessions. And so as much as I can trust myself in handling myself through some suffering like that, I know that Jacob can also handle himself. And I like to have a circle around me of people who can suffer willingly and unwillingly because that way I know that they can handle themselves if things ever get sticky. I wanna make sure that the crowd around me is strong I want to make sure that my crowd is a group of people that I would be able and willing to go to war with. And Jacob is one of those people. I hope that you enjoy this episode. I hope that you get something from it. Like I said, if you want to you know, know more about what he offers, some of the exotic hunts that he does in northern Canada or South America, check out his website at hardknockadventures.com. And if you plan on going on an elk hunt by yourself, Take a good hard listen to what he says about the nutrition and the way that you should prep. Just because you are going into the woods, deep into the woods where you might not be properly outfitted and protected from the elements, you might not have service, you might get lost, it's very important that you are prepared. He walks you through how to do that. I still think it's important. I've never been on an elk hunt, but I know that when I do, and I am going to at some point in the future, I'm gonna go with Jacob. I'm going to acquire Jacob's services. I'm going to hire him to be my guide because I've never been on an elk hunt before and as strong and capable as I believe I am, I want to make sure I have a professional with me. And we talk about that in this episode. So real quick, while I got your ears before we dive into the episode, the Energy Fitness Podcast is sponsored by the Energy Fitness Studio in Washington, Pennsylvania, where we offer yoga, bar, kettlebell, high intensity interval training classes, ice plunges, some meditative practices as well, sometimes some cacao ceremonies, and some more special things such as those. We also are sponsored by the book sales of Rewilding the Modern Man and the book sales of Awakening the Tranquil Warrior, which you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books A Million pretty much anywhere that you buy books online, as well as some hit and miss actual book stores. If you can find it in a bookstore, that's even more appreciated because it helps with numbers and statistics and all that bullshit. Plus then I know that the book came from a reputable source and not from a copywriter. But otherwise you can find it pretty much anywhere else online. You can also find it at Energy Fitness Studio in Washington, Pennsylvania. We are also sponsored by The Old Road Farm. In this episode, we talk a little bit about the carnivore diet. We talk a little bit about you know, eating natural meats that are full of nutrients. 
in this episode specifically wild because they're being hunted but the Old Road Farm is the closest thing that you're gonna find to wild because it's regenerative it's organic completely grass-fed and finished its entire life and so if you've not checked out Carice Trestle at the Old Road Farm yet make sure that you do so you can find their meats and eggs and dairy and all of that at theoldroadfarm.com. Hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hey, what's up, brother? What's up, man? Third time's a charm. Can you hear me, man? Yep, I got you. You got me? All right, I got you now, man. Cool. This is, this is the first time I've recorded one on, on this platform right here, so... Uh... So forgive me, a little bit of a learning curve on that. <laughs> That's all right. I'm glad to work the kinks out for you, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right on, man. Right on. Well, welcome to the show, brother. Uh, today we got Mr. Jacob Huckabee on the show, or uh, as some people know him as uh, as Huck. He's the owner of Hard Knock Adventures. He's been a an outfitter and a hunting guide for over 23 years. And, uh, and as weird as that sounds, I met him through a yoga teacher, and uh, and he's a pretty solid dude. Normally, yoga and hunting don't seem like something that would go together, uh, and that's something I kind of want to touch on a little bit later, get your thoughts on that. But, uh, but anyways, right. man, if you want to give a little intro on yourself. Yeah, man, uh, just like you said, over 23-ish, I think that sounds, that sounds like a long time to me, but uh, <laughs> 23 years, dude, I've been... Doing a, I started out as a guide all over New Mexico, Colorado, Canada, um, and then that turned into having an outfit business. I was managing 60,000 acres in southwest Kansas for whitetail, um, and then from there and all these contacts, I just uh, kind of kind of piled all that together and sell hunting trips uh, to whoever, wherever, man, whatever you want to do. We kind of we've kind of been there and done that, and uh, we just bring that to bring those experiences to. To whoever wants them now, you know. How'd you get started into that? <clears throat> what was the leeway? Uh, man, first is first thing is I grew up like just in the woods or on the water. Um, that's South Louisiana. That's life, bro. Um, and then through high school, I uh, did a bunch of hunting with friends, and um, you know, got, got what I would consider pretty decent at it, and we're in right out of high school. I uh, I tried college for like a semester <laughs> and, re and realized I really sucked at that because uh, I wanted to be hunting all the time. Uh, in fact, I would schedule my college classes around mornings where I could duck hunt or deer hunt. Uh, so like, no, nah, this ain't worth it. So I, I picked up uh, some guiding work with a guy and um, went to New Mexico, did elk and mule deer, Colorado elk and mule deer, and then uh, ended up in Canada waterfowl guiding with him and uh oh, man i almost didn't come back from canada um <laughs> i loved it that much god dang man that, that place is absolutely incredible when it comes to waterfowl it, it's incredible just hunting in general but waterfowl is off the charts what um, all were you but, what all were you hunting up there like <clears throat> duck geese ducks and geese yeah um so when i started i was in the Manitoba province, um, just yeah. like w west of Winnipeg. Yeah. Um, so just mainly uh, Canadian geese, uh, mallards and pintails. There's a bunch of other ducks in there too, but that's that's mainly what, you know, that outfit focused on. Yeah. Did you hunt with dogs or did you hunt just by mm -hmm. yourself? Yeah. Yeah. The dogs has been a, <clears throat> having dogs has been a way of life for me since I was a kid. My dad was a uh, professional lab trainer in the field trial circuit. So, I mean, oh dude, I've had literally thousands of dogs come and go in my life, uh, you know, through the course of the training, but we've always had top-notch dogs. Um, that, to be honest with you, that's probably why I got invited to hunt some of the places I did because, uh, you know, I'd get a phone call from somebody like, hey man, you wanna go hunting no more? Like, hell yeah. Like, okay, cool. Can you bring your dad's dog? I'm like, oh, it never was, never was about me, you know? <laughs> it's, about, it's about that good dog. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, but yeah, dogs has been a very integral part of, of the waterfowling for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I I can relate pretty similar to the, to that story there. I didn't know that you, that you flunked out of college too. I did the same thing after one semester <laughs> flunked out. 
So yeah, I, I, feta, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I can feel that too, man. Uh, yeah, I'm from the. You're from the Chew. I'm from the Mitten, but uh, Michigan's pretty similar in in the outdoors life. There's mm-hmm. the lakes and the the fishing and the hunting yeah. is incredible. And uh, I've never done anything besides whitetail, you know, pheasant, um, you know, coyote. Went out bear hunting a couple times, never got anything. But um, you know, you do like pretty exotic stuff like the elk hunt you're, you're preparing for elk hunts right now and i'm going to talk about that um that's what was your first elk hunt like because obviously there's nothing like that in louisiana no um so as a kid i lived in colorado for a few years um so that's kind of where i got into elk hunting my dad was a big elk hunter yeah and did it did it every year growing up um and so i man to tell you that i was lucky is a like gross understatement when it comes to elk hunting because we we had this property in south south central colorado that um like to this day it's one of the most i don't know sought after areas there's a couple of ranches in the area that are uh, just the top-notch ranches for elk and we hunted right in the middle of it so i got started in elk hunting like with a, I got fed with silver spoon, you know, the, yeah. the terrain isn't all that bad there. There's gobs of elk. Um, so that's where I got started. And then uh, as I grew up and got out of high school and started to have, you know, my dad quit paying for it. So like, <laughs> I was like, well, I can't, I can't pay to be on this lease this year. I don't have that money. So I got to yeah. go to public lands. Yeah. Um, so of course, back to Colorado and, you know, started poking around on public land as a, as a 19, 20 year old kid, really not knowing a whole lot. Um, but, you know, I probably messed up more of my hunts and more of other people's hunts in those years, just learning everything, learning the terrain, learning the places in each unit. And, um, but over the course of that, man, I've, I've kind of, you know, kind of got a pretty good grasp on, yeah. on these areas and what it is and what it takes to, to be in there man, oh, and, yeah. and to get it done. Oh, I'd say, dude. I mean, after twenty-three years, I mean, you learn a lot of shit. What? So I'm, I, I really enjoy whitetail hunting, and but that mm-hmm. is vastly different than elk hunting. I mean, whitetail is uh, pretty simple for the most part. I mean, they're real finicky, but you know, it's not like an elk hunt. Like I, I listen to you talk about your preparation for elk hunting, and you know, like Cameron Haynes and you know people like that mm-hmm. on their elk hunts. Like, it seems like like there's a lot of physical training involved, like. You know what? What's the big difference between elk hunting and whitetail hunting? Besides, obviously, the terrain and you know they live. Right. Um, I, th- there's a lot of similarities, but the biggest the biggest physical difference is is what it takes to actually um, to actually get in with these and be in their in their living rooms. Basically, whitetail um, whitetail are super patternable, I guess. And you can, you can really ambush whitetail um, for the most part, you know, most states allow some sort of feeding. um, So that's probably, that's a, that's a really big part of whitetail hunting that, that kind of, it tamps down the need for, you know, your physical fitness. Mm -hmm. Elk hunting, um, you know, there, there's, there's no feeding unless you're lucky enough to have a place where you can watch these animals go from bed to feed during the mornings and afternoons, just like every other animal does. But um, a lot of times, you you know, in these units that are public, uh, they don't necessarily have the, uh, the access to both of those. So you're still ambush hunting, but you got to get into, you got to be on the move. You got to be in some areas that these things, you know, where they bed and where they bed, they of course aren't going to pick the easiest to get to places for their predators right so um they're in the steepest terrain the rockiest terrain the the most heavy wooded terrain uh this you know black timber dark timber however you want to call it i mean these are the gnarliest places that they can find is where they they come to from during the course of the day um so getting into those areas or ahead of them or you know above them to put stalks on them that's it's just the time consuming part and then it happens to be in some really really shitty places when it comes to terrain you know 
Yeah. What? How? How long typically do you stalk? Like, how long are you walking? Like you, because I've heard a lot of people they talk about. You know, you can get a vehicle so far, you can get a four wheeler so far past that, and then beyond that, you know, you're basically on foot for the rest of your your elk hunt. So, how far are you typically hiking to try? You know, and in your rucking, you're carrying all your gear, and then hopefully you're gonna carry out an elk or parts of an elk you know after right. the hunt as well so how how much are you typically walking when you're doing one of these hunts it it really depends on the unit you're hunting but so that's uh i'll, I'll give you an example of where i'll be next week um from where you're allowed to park the truck on the edge of uh state forest land you're looking at probably a six mile hike into where i want to have a camp right so and then from camp um it's four or five six miles in any direction during the day um you know and going in you've got i don't know my packs usually run 50 50 ish pound 50 60 pounds for you know six or seven days worth of stuff on me yeah um and then you know throughout the course of the day you might you might have to make a thousand foot of elevation gain to get to a spot where you glass from for an hour, two hours, three hours, shit, 10 hours, um, until you see something that gets into a place where you feel like you can make a move on it. Yeah. Uh, And then when you decide you want to make a move, shit, a stalk can take, a stalk can take an hour, it can take eight hours. Um, You know, and then, so for me, typically where, like this year where we'll be um you're glassing ridge side to ridge side so you got to go up one ridge and look across a valley to another ridge where you can you know have a good advantage point to see the majority of it yeah that's great you can see but the problem is once you see and find something well now you got to come back down into the valley and (laughs) go back up over and around whatever you're trying to get onto. yeah so uh, that's a lot and just like to to stop right there and acknowledge like even if you have a day where you're not doing a lot of hiking and you you happen to only you know ruck with your 50 60 pounds you know six miles or so you like you said you're up and down terrain you're you know over stumps and you know rocks and dirt like you're not walking like on a fucking flat treadmill like this is this is pretty serious body movement plus you're you're trying to be uh, very observant and analyzing of your surroundings. Mm-hmm. You're being really active with your brain and you're also uh, trying to be quiet at the same time. So this is, this is a lot. And as a guide, you have a ton of responsibility. Like how many people do you normally take on a guide with you? Like what's your, what's your max amount of people that you'll bring with? Um, it depends on the camp, whitetail camp. I can, I can usually, manage about four guys at a time because whitetails you're staying hunting most of the day uh yeah. so you, you know you set guys out and then you can do what you got to do and go pick them back up whatever yeah. elk elk or mule deer camp um two guys man and really you can only do one at a time um unless you have some guys that you know that, that have a skill set that's a little bit higher than most and they can do their own thing once you find it you know you can kind of let them get their stalk you know, get in, try to get in position or whatever, but yeah, elk and mule deer, usually one guy at a time, man, that's, that's, uh, it takes that much, uh, you know, focus to, uh, to get it done most of the time. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of responsibility for, you know, for the guy. Mm-hmm. What kind of, what kind of restrictions, like when someone comes to you and says, I want to go on an elk hunt, what kind of physical restrictions you put on that person? You like you put them on like a diet and an exercise program because you don't want to have to drag their ass out of the woods and the elk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you try to, man, and that's um, that's really difficult to get people who have never done it to understand. It doesn't take long for them to understand once they get there, but to understand right. the level that they need to be at prior to is – like I honestly haven't found a way to relay that to these these guys that have never done it. Um, I have a guy going to be with me next week that I'm I'm concerned about because you know I don't see uh, not that I don't see it I just I know him personally uh, and he's going to struggle now he's mentally tough yeah uh, so we, I think I think we'll be okay but I know he's going to struggle physically 
Yeah. Um, I, I think that's a big deal, man, because like you're where you're at, I'm sure that you don't have much self, you know, cell phone service. And if mm-hmm. someone fucking falls down a ridge and breaks a leg, like now you, the guy, now you have to carry that fucker out of there. <laughs> yeah. However far away you got from camp, you know, and then like you said, from camp to where you can actually park a vehicle, like you might be walking 10, 20 miles with some grown ass man that, you know, was too lazy to, to trim himself up for the trip. <laughs> yeah, that indeed that's where you know, that's where trying to relay this to this guy comes into into being super important. Yeah. Um and I mean there's other there's other other avenues we have for the for those instances. We've got some some Garmin products that allow us to uh stay in touch when there is no phone service just for emergencies and stuff like that. But um yeah. but you still if it happens, bro, you like shit goes from zero to a hundred instantly, man. Oh, I bet. Uh, and if you're, I mean, you know, if you're getting close to dusk and things like that, like I can only imagine. I've worked with a dude that was like, he was like 400 some pounds, and he went on a elk hunt with his brother, who was also very overweight. And uh, they didn't have a guide or nothing. They were out, in, I think they were maybe Wyoming. And mm-hmm. one brother, the who like climbed up a stump to get a better view, and he slipped, stepped on some moss, and he slipped, and he fell down, and. You fucking laid there for several hours before you know, his brother found him and like you know his brother only found him because of his moaning and you know crying right. and you know yeah. luckily he was okay but he was like am I gonna have to fucking carry him out of here like this 400 pound dude like cause you're not Got you're not close to anything it's a, definitely a tough no. spot <laughs> yeah there's uh the, the area that I'm going next week I think has one of the highest uh, rescue like percentages for the, for their search and rescue team of that area. Like they do more statewide than, you know, than most teams for the state <laughs> because yeah. the terrain is so tough. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. I, there's, and I think last summer there was four deaths in, uh, in the area that I'm going, you know, people falling, people uh, not being prepared stuff like that to just just yeah. in a small area uh it's just it can be dangerous man yeah and, for sure. and the problem is that the guys that are getting these into these positions 99 percent of them is because they're unprepared you know whether it's gear wise or physical or physical wise or even mentally wise you know just not knowing what you're getting yourself into uh, yeah. and not being prepared for it is a freaking game changer What's the what's the training look like for you, like as the guide? Because not only are you responsible for drug gear and your own shit, but you're also responsible for that, you know, the person that you're taking or the people you're taking with you. And you're a you're a stout fella. So what like walk walk us through what you do to prepare when you get ready to go out, like specifically on one of these elk hunts. Uh man, for me, Trent, you know, I'm I'm a year round kind of guy. Um, but that's you know that's overboard for most right um i i would say when i really start focusing and ramping up so we're in a we're going to be in the first of november uh when this season starts now i was ready in september for bow season right Uh, i I didn't do any bow hunts this year but i was i was basically ready um so i started in march and april uh, to where I have a few solid months of where I start putting uh, first thing that the first thing I do is change my diet. Um, I, I start focusing a little bit more on, you know, losing a little bit of body fat, leaning, leaning up a little bit. Um, and then a, a big thing is like a high intensity cardio plan. Um, with with some weights involved um because if if you look at if you look at a gym setting and you go through some of the some of the lifts and maneuvers of a a high intensity training you know you've got uh, snatches and cleans and squats and um you know stuff where you're using an entire body uh you know your entire body system to, to get some of these lifts done that really represents um you know 
packing up packing up the side of a mountain with a rifle or dragging a fat guy up the side of the mountain who's struggling you know what i'm saying and, and uh so that along with cardio uh i i i usually so i have and i just started it this year and it's been awesome i started putting 25 pounds of bags 25 pound bags of rice in my pack uh one or two at a time and i just i go walk with my pack my 50 pound pack i'll do a few miles uh you know do do that and you, you'd be amazed at the difference it uh the difference it makes but just doing the pack is not enough because yeah. there's so much more muscle work involved when you actually get there and you're actually hiking up and grabbing trees to you know to take the next step and the, you know taking a long step with weight on and all that stuff so the high intensity training is, is really the most important part yeah, I could definitely see that because you're you're moving your entire body in functional patterns, like ancestral patterns that you can't you can't mimic, you know, with a barbell for the most part. No, it, it, yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. So kettlebells really come into play, and that's where like I don't know how to explain it other than it's like grunt work, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Like I, I always think of like you watch people like uh, like Cameron Haynes, how he prepares for his elk hunts, and that's you know, he does very high intensity, you know, long distance cardio, normally with weights and things like that. And it's uh, as far as body composition and, you know, like increasing muscle size and mass, like it's kind of the hardest way to do it. But it's mm-hmm. the best way to do it because you're working both type one and two muscle fibers. And so you're creating you know, endurance and resilience and endurance and in strength and in functionality. And so it, that's my favorite type of exercise as well. Like, like, you know, I, I love the kettlebells. I love the high intensity stuff because I feel like, I feel like it's the best. It's the most functional. It's the most ancestral. Well, and that's it. Yeah. The, the ancestral, the, like I said, the grunt work part of it, because yeah. the time, the times I have, you know, hurt myself, uh, whether it's twisting a knee or a shoulder or something on these, on these deals is when it's when I'm moving slow or, um, you know, I'm in a, in a weird position. Um, and, and what that, what that boils down to why it's happening is because the, the core of everything isn't strong enough in some of those, some of those places. Right. Yeah. Um, you get tired. You start to slouch a little bit. You put some extra weight on your back or your knees or your hips. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, and so that's where, you know, those, um, just like he said, you, you call them the ancestral, the, the, I don't, I don't know the word, man, but like the, uh, like the functional kind of, right. That stuff yeah. comes into being important. Yeah, I totally agree. There was um, that that gym I met you at in Lafayette. What was the name of that? We'll give them a shout out real quick. Uh, it's Revive Performance Gym. Um, they are in Youngsville, Louisiana. Oh, Youngsville. That's right. Yeah, that was a yeah. pretty legit place. Um, I just happened to be on the road uh, right there where Jacob's at and invited me to check out a class at that gym, and it was uh, it was a very good class. I I prefer the classes as well, just because. For me, it's always been like when I instruct a class or when I go into the gym knowing what I'm going to do, it's uh, it's easier for me to get through it knowing what I'm going to do. But when I'm in a class and someone else has control of the program, <laughs> you don't get to like mentally prepare yourself. So I, it's harder for whatever reason. And, and then right. there's also the competitiveness in a class setting. So you push yourself a little bit harder, and uh, it, I I love it. And that what, the dude's name was Luke, right? That was Luke, teaching yeah. that one. Yeah, Luke Melanson. He's a uh, Luke's a freaking little little ball of fire, man. He, uh, <laughs> he's he's one of those. He's he's a little David Goggins, a little Cameron Haynes. <laughs> okay. I mean, and and I I love it because I have that competitive spirit, yeah. and I. Uh-huh. I, I know I know in the back of my mind that this dude this dude outperforms me like hands down uh, but I'm not <laughs> I'm not gonna let him every day I, like I, I gotta go I gotta go prove something to this knucklehead every day you know? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. but in turn but in turn it makes me it makes me better um, yeah yeah you gotta surround yourself with people like that if you if you surround yourself with people that you can beat 
every single day, then you just you're not gonna get no better. So yeah, right. the ab yeah. the ab fucking uh, the ab work at the end of that workout was pretty legit. It, <laughs> yeah, pretty legit. I uh, I've had to incorporate some flutter kicks into my daily routine so that you know oh, if I ever damn. see them again, I'm I'm not gonna be slacking. <laughs> <laughs> He's a freaking flutter kick maniac. <laughs> flutter kick maniac. No, yeah. that was legit, man. So let let's. So what is your like what what's a day look like for you right now like nutritionally and like physical activity wise as far as prepping for like you said you're leaving out pretty soon for an elk hunt so I know you're working out like twice a day I know yeah. that you, you know you're eating a ton but let's like dive into that a little bit and, and a little bit like more detail like what are you eating you know what are you doing what's what's the day look like for you right now so Oh man, this is going to seem probably overboard for most, but, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it, it honestly, Trent, it is probably, um, just because that's the type of person I am. But I would say that, you know, taking a, if you were to take a snapshot of what I got, what I do a day or what I'm about to tell you, mm-hmm. take a snapshot of that. And if you can, if somebody could follow it 80%, um, then I think you're still in a good place. Yeah. Um, but for me right now, I mean, I'm eating, I'm eating 300 grams of protein a day, uh, right at 300 grams of carbs, I think. Uh, so I eat five times a day, eight o'clock, 11 o'clock, two o'clock, five and eight. Uh, and then I have a protein shake before I go to bed. Um, so you're, you're splitting that up into like about 60 grams of protein, like per meal then? Yeah. Something like that. In fact, yeah. Uh, while I'm talking, I look at it. It's, uh, let's see. What do you, what do you, what's your body weight? You, you like 220? Right now I'm at 218, yeah. um, which is a, is a little heavier than I usually want to be for some reason. I don't know. I, I want to tell you it's muscle mass, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know right now. Uh, but usually I'm around 215, 212, 215. Right. Uh, but yeah, 40, 40 to 50 grams of protein per meal. Um, or 50 to 50 plus pro- grams of protein per meal. Same thing with carbs, uh, 60 or so carbs per meal. Um, in the mornings, uh, right now when I'm, when I'm with the kids, I'm dropping them off at school and I go to the gym at eight o'clock. Um, Louisiana, three days a week, I do jujitsu for an hour, uh, which is, I don't even know what to tell you, kind of workout that is. It's cardio on top of, um, uh, pushing giant dudes off of you for an hour. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> right. And then um, in the evenings, um, I'm doing some type of running or uh, walking with my pack. Uh, three, let's see, five days a week, I'm doing at least a 5K. Uh, and then I walk a mile or so with the pack. Uh, you know, so three, basically three workouts a day right now, which is like I said, man, I'm I'm out there sometimes, but, uh, you know, for the normal guy, Trent, if you can do, if you can, if you can build up to a five day a week thing within a, within a couple of months from this, um, you can, you can get it done. Yeah. Uh, and, and be where you need to be come, come that time, you know, um, but you've got to, you've got to put out the work. And like I said, man, I've, I've yet to find a way to get, to explain it and to get people to understand what they're facing, you know, for those that have never done it before. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I mean, just, just like you said earlier, well, for one, like, I don't, I don't think three workouts a day is crazy. In fact, I think that should be the norm. I, I think I'm all about the ancestral and, and I think our, our ancestors, they, they moved, they lunged, they hinged, they squatted, they fucking did hard shit every single day that's how the human body is designed and i well, they, i know you they didn't have a choice yeah you have a fucking choice that's how you live that's that's how our biology is meant to be that's why people get so damn depressed and anxious now is because they don't fucking move their they body don't do shit. right yeah they fucking sit around and of course the body don't know what to do with all that extra energy so you you worry you fucking you mm-hmm. know all that shit yeah. happens but but like you're saying, like you have a ton of responsibility as the guide too. You gotta worry about yourself. You gotta worry about the people you're with, and also, like, not to mention, if you do, if you do get an elk, if you do get a bull, you gotta, you gotta quarter that up and haul that out of there. Like, what's, how much are you hauling out when you, you know, you you get an elk? Well, so you're looking at a, you're looking at a six, seven hundred pound animal. Um, 
you know how much of that is how much of that is what you're packing back i imagine most people aren't taking you know bones and and stuff like that i would but well yeah i mean there there are times we do we leave uh you know when we quarter it we leave leg bones in or shoulder bones uh shoulder and leg on a quarter um but you know uh an elk leg quarter is in the 60 70 pounds probably uh so you're you know putting that on a pack plus some extra whatever you can what else you can strap onto it uh yeah. with with the other shit that you got in your pack and so that that's one trip out right right uh, two guys you're looking at three trips yeah uh, and you uh, and you could be six miles one way so you have 12 miles <laughs> yeah, absolutely man uh, yeah, and that's the purpose, right? Like, you don't go elk hunting just to fucking walk around. You go out to pack some shit out. <laughs> it's the shittiest part, but it's the most rewarding part, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, and, that, and that, that leads into the, you know, the diet that you get to have for the next year. Yeah. Just one or two days of complete fucking suck turns into a year's worth of the most phenomenal meat you can put in your body you can't buy it anywhere yeah um, and you did you know. it yourself like you put it that's the most gratis the gratifying thing for me is like when you when you hunt like i said i've never elk hunted but you know like whitetail or what turkey whatever it is like you mm-hmm. did work you harvested it you were there in the woods you put in the time you cleaned it you know, you prepped it, you cook it, you get to share it with your community, with your family, you get to feed your family with your hard work. Like that itself is so, there's so much gratitude involved in that. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. It's, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's amazing, man. And like I, I, I describe it in this way, and this is, I don't know, some people will find this morbid or whatever, I don't give a shit, but this is the way it is for us, you know we spend a lot of time whitetail hunting every year and it, on these ranches that, uh, that we hunt, we, you know, and it, it's a, it's a normal thing now in the hunting community, we name our deer, right? This buck we call, you know, uh, toothpick or whatever. And, yeah. and if one of my kids or I get to shoot this deer that we've watched grow up, we've raised it basically to a point where it did its deer thing. And now we, we determine that, okay, it needs to come out of the herd because of one of however many reasons, and we decide to shoot it this year. Okay, well, um, perfect example, the, the deer I just said, toothpick. My son shot that deer last year. Well, <laughs> the, I don't know, earlier this week we had backstrap, and I was like, damn, man, Bo, this is the last pack of toothpick we have. He's like, oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> toothpick, we're, do- we're done eating toothpick now, you know? Yeah. So, I, and, yeah. and that. Yeah, that's for all the animals. We know what what it what it is, you know. Uh, yeah. But that's the rewarding part of it. It is the rewarding part, man. But like, I, I I love that. I love that you do that because I think that humans now, like, we're so fucking disconnected from nature that people think that is morbid. But for at least four hundred thousand years, humanity survived off of ruminant animals, and it was a sacred thing to be able to kill a a bison or a deer or a, a you know, water buffalo, some type of ruminant animal was a true gift. And, you know, they shared that gift with their family and they literally followed the herds. That's like our first civilizations were, right. you know, m- mobile civilizations following herds. And we're so disconnected now that people like, they'll go to a fast food joint and order a hamburger, but they have no idea where it comes from. And you say like, oh, we just ate our last backstrap from toothpick. And they go, ew, that's disgusting. But you you went out in nature with your son, which is even more beautiful. You went out with your son in nature. You know, you sat in nature, you watched this animal, and then you with a ton of gratitude, you harvest that animal as a community, and then you share it. Like I I can't imagine anything more beautiful than that. Like being able to supply for your family, enjoy that experience with your son. And be able to nourish yourself with food that you know is going to make you and your boy stronger. And is it's going to, you're working in the circle of life instead of, mm-hmm. like, people are so disconnected now. Like, they don't even know what that circle of life is. Like, that, this is a good point where we can, like, throw in the, uh, like, so my wife and I own a yoga studio. We got bar and cowbell class as well. And that's where I met Jacob was through through that. 
And in the yoga community, there's a lot of disconnected motherfuckers that Big time. Uh, they think they're spiritual. They think that they're connected and they have no idea of what, you know, true life really is outside of the city. And I love yoga. Yoga honestly changed my life in a lot of ways, but I've always been, you know, I was raised in the country. I spent a lot of time fishing and, and hunting and just in the woods and on the lake in general. And so I always, I had a, I had that privilege of knowing how nature actually worked and actually being able to, you know, feel that like it was, it was always taught to me to, you know, you kill an animal and not only do you, you pray and thank that animal for its life and you pray to God and you, you, you know, you just show your gratitude for your ability to take that life. And, but then you harvest that animal in its entirety and you use every bit of it that you can, you know, you don't just cut the back strap out and leave the animal lay in the weeds. You, you take everything you can and you use everything you can. And if, you know, when I was, when I was a kid, a lot of people weren't really into eating organs, but you'd save those organs for your dogs. And, you know, you would, you would do things like that. And I've always felt like some of my deepest, like spiritual interactions were in the woods. They were, as the sun was rising like so so i want to i want to hear your like take on that because there's like a new spin on hunting that's that's getting kind of popular and they're calling it sacred hunting and basically it's about that it's it's hunting just like you're describing except for they put kind of a sustainable twist on it where you know people are seeing the whole picture again so really it's not anything special it's hunting how it should be but i want to hear your opinion and your take on like on that whole thing itself <laughs> dude I, I i can i can i can describe the, the the process of what you're talking about very easily and i i think what people are doing with that term sacred hunting what i think what they're doing with that term is they're taking everything that's going on in the hunting community right now and they're slowing it down yeah they're spending, they're spending a little more time with the process with the animal um and that that to be honest with you it never really went away uh it, it it may have gotten to the point where people didn't understand maybe people didn't recognize it as well but it never went away and i can i can prove that by saying go look at go look at any any hunting video out there whether it's ducks deer it doesn't matter when somebody kills something and they get their hands on it every single person takes some sort of a period of in time yeah. and they admire what they have in their hand every yeah. single time and it's not something that you have to it's not something that you have to remind people to do right. um everybody picks up a deer and admires it everybody picks up a duck and like you know looks at the looks at the feathers on their chest or looks at the wing feathers or you know everybody that goes to the deer that they just shot kind of pets it a little bit and that is that that's what you're talking about. That's the sacred part of it that people maybe maybe just didn't recognize um, of late. And and I think that what you're talking about, that term is some people are just slowing it down and bringing those little moments and kind of stretching those out and paying a little more attention to it. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, I, I remember the first time I killed like fishing is one thing. Like, for some reason, there's not as big of a connection when you kill a fish. But when you kill a mammal. And like you, like you shoot it and you come up to it, like that feeling is, it's irreplaceable. You can't compare it to anything else because you, you understand that you just took a life, but you took it out of respect, out of being a part of the circle. And you're going to, you know, you honor that animal. You really do. Like you look at it in its beauty and you feel connected to it. Like I remember putting my hands on, on the first white tail that I had shot and like, didn't, I didn't consciously think, you know, Oh, I should pray to God. I should pray. And I should say, thanks for this. It just happened. Like you it said, happens. it was an admiration and a respect. And it's, it's really, it's a, it really is a beautiful thing. And it is sacred. Like the term, that they're putting on it now like sacred hunting i think it touches people differently maybe people that uh you know they want to live an ancestral lifestyle but they don't understand hunting maybe they're city folks maybe you know they 
they felt a weird disconnection from hunting because of a political thing, because hunting somehow got made political like in recent years. And so that term, I think it kind of opens it up to different communities. Like I've seen some yogis in the community that have like a Or, uh, I, lo- I lost you for oh, a second there, there you are right uh, there. Yeah, um, but yeah Trent to be honest with you I don't care I don't care what we have to call it I don't care the <laughs> term we have to use um, I, I just I enjoy seeing seeing people take a different different approach to it uh, because it means that much to me and the, tr- the truth is as a as a human you are um uh, you are one of the greatest predators on the planet and I don't care not the one of the greatest you are the apex predator on the planet (laughs) whether you're 40 years old and play video games in your mom's basement you still have the ability (laughs) as as a human to be the top predator on the planet and that that's not something that's not something that um like that had to be ingrained yeah uh you know over the course of the last tens of thousands of years yeah it's a responsibility at this point right and uh i mean as society we've gotten away from having to have that or having to use that part of ourselves but it's still there uh oh yeah it's deeply, so, it's deeply there I, I see it with people in the gym all the time like people who had they hadn't moved their body in years they hadn't exercised in years and they pick up a kettlebell and they feel that there's like an energy you get when you start moving your body in a way that your body, your deep DNA understands and feels. There's something really valuable in that. Something that really lights people up. And it's an away it's an awakening. Yeah. Um, you know, and it to to wake something up, it has to be there, right? right. It's there. It's there. It's there in every one of us. Yeah. I absolutely agree with that, man. hundred percent. And that's like you so when you do uh when you're preparing, I know that like you and I kind of both do the carnivore diet for the most part. Um, where, when you get your carbs, when you're uh, preparing for something like this, where are your carbs? Um, so I've, I switched about a month ago to a, to a diet with some carbs in it. Um, and white rice is, is my go-to. I mean, I'm from South Louisiana. We cook rice and everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So Jasmine, Jasmine rice is my carbs, but up until a month ago, honestly, I wasn't, I wasn't getting, I don't know, hardly any carbs in the course of a day. Cause I was mainly carnivore. I've been doing that for probably two years now. Yeah. Um, but so on a carnivore, um, you're using animal fat basically in the place of yeah. uh, your, your carbs, you know, um, but carbs aren't a bad thing, Trent. They, they, you know, everybody gets, uh, everybody gives them a hard time. Oh yeah. But you know, there's, you've got to have, you've got to have that, that fuel. Especially, um, yeah. Especially when you're working out, you know, three times a day, it's, I, I totally agree. I'm, I'm more on like the fruit wagon. So I, I'd like non right. fruits and, but I do, mm-hmm. I do definitely agree. And for a couple of years, like when I first started, you know, eating mostly carnivore, I kind of, I kind of avoided anything with carbohydrates in it, but at a certain point, like it, it works really well for a while, but at a certain point, if you're going to put yourself through grueling workouts, it's very beneficial to have a banana or an apple or like a mango or some shit like it. And you can notice sure. it, you know, very, oh, very quickly. Absolutely. You know, cause if you're, if you don't have any carbs to do whatever carbs do for your body, I, I know it's a process. I just don't know exactly what it is. Right. Not, you know, that ain't, Ain't my forte, right. <laughs> but your body your body uses you know that, that the lean muscle protein or the lean muscle to to do what you need to do instead of using exactly. that other fuel. Yeah. So you're you're working yourself into a deficit. Yeah. Um, you know every every time you're working yourself, whereas if you put the right fuel in your body, then you you're able to use that fuel, build your muscle proteins, uh, you know, and and get stronger and and better. Yeah. No, yeah, you're exactly right. That's exactly what happens is especially like a, a fasted workout used to be like, and I still do a fasted workout, but a fasted workout damages your muscles more than anything else, especially if you do like a, 
a high intensity or a resistance training workout fasted your body right. after like 15 minutes yeah, your body starts to break down muscle and right <clears throat> it does repair that muscle when you sleep that night but if you're able to have some glycogen stores maybe from a sweet potato the night before or mm-hmm. you know something like that then you are going to do better and that's that is a guarantee and i, I definitely noticed that myself too but yeah and, yeah. and for me, I can feel myself plateau every once in a while. Yeah. Um, and that kind of tells me, all right, let's switch something up, um, you know, so that they're, they'll add a little more carbs or back off of carbs, or, you know what I'm saying? So yeah. Um, when I feel that plateau and I know that I've been doing the same thing workout-wise or training-wise, then I know I need to, uh, you know, switch something up, whether it's food or my training regimen or whatever. And that, yeah, that gets me off of that plateau. Yeah. What do you do when, when you're out on your hunt? You know, how, like how many days are you typically out there and what are you, what are you eating while you're out elk hunting? Um, so typically like in Colorado rifle seasons, this one in particular is from a Saturday to the next Sunday. So what's that? Nine days. Um, most guys can't handle more than five, six, seven days at the most out. Um, you know, with your own stuff on you. Yeah. Uh, but, but in, in the time that we are doing that, we, a typical, you know, day's worth of meals in the morning, we pack uh, like a breakfast bar or something and a, and a cup of coffee or a hot chocolate or something in the morning uh, before we, before we head out. And then throughout the day, um, I bring like some string cheeses, uh, granola bars, uh, beef jerky, stuff like that. And, and, then uh in the evening you know around the fire or once it's dark before we go to bed we have a uh like a freeze-dried meal most of the time these meals are a thousand maybe 1200 calories um you know there's a ton of different brands out there then basically all you do is add hot water to them let them sit for 10 minutes and then and then eat them Uh, day one they're phenomenal day five (laughs) it's time to do something else (laughs) That sounds like people talk about MREs. Yeah, it's same, same thing, man. Uh, I, uh, but yeah, I can do. I don't. I don't have a problem with six or seven days, and then it's kind of time to come back and uh, clean up a little bit and yeah. and re- restock. But you know, there's there's some there's some trips out there that they're pushing 10, 12 days, uh, w- with one outing. And that's tough, man. Oh, I bet it is. Yeah. I bet it is. Yeah. I'm sure you get bored of the food for sure. What, what kind of like macro intake do you like? Cause you're, you can't pack too much and you can't pack stuff that's going to go bad stuff that you can't prepare. So, and I'm, I'm sure that's why like it has to be mostly packaged or freeze dried, you know, shit like that. Otherwise you sure. just wouldn't be able to hack it. So what, what's your intake like when you're actually out on a hunt? Like, at, like, some, like maybe 1200 calories in one of them freeze dried packs, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the total for the day would be. And I, I guess I, I guess I should, I've gotten to where, like, I just know, I know I like Velveeta breakfast bars and, yes you know, uh, nature, nature Valley granola stuff throughout the day and the string cheeses and the, the, uh, there's a, there's a store in Trinidad, Colorado that I stop and get beef jerky at, you know, so, but those, so I'm, I'm carrying those things. Um, I would say total intake for the day, you maybe 2000 calories, maybe, maybe yeah. a little bit more. Um, but in the course of a day, I don't know, you're probably burning five to 6,000 calories. Yeah, that's what uh, I was gonna say. Like that, that just adds more importance to like the the preparation and the training because you're. But right now, you said you're, you know, what six? You're you're probably bringing in what seven, eight thousand calories a day right now. You think prepping, and then you're gonna, you're still gonna be active. And mm-hmm. and I would I would assume that maybe when you're out hunting too, you're probably burning more calories than you would. I don't know for sure, but because you're you're rocking, you're hiking, but your brain is also on high alert and that itself burns a ton of calories. So all the time. Yeah. 
you're constantly you're constantly you know thinking about the wind smelling things looking at things checking movement you know looking at the ground looking for sign all that stuff so you, your brain's working overtime all day long uh, yes you, it, it, no doubt you're in a calorie deficit at the end of every single day there's there's yeah. no two ways about it you ever notice you come back from a guided hunt and and you've lost a significant amount of weight? <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Thir- thirteen pounds in a week. Yeah, stuff like that. Damn, Damn it. Yeah. See, yeah. yes, you, you need to get that elk so you can put it back on. <laughs> but that's, that's what it's for, man. It's that's the circle. What yeah. kind of what kind of predators you got to worry about out in Colorado? You got bobcats. I mean, what what's out there? Uh, oh yeah, there's there's uh there's line, mountain lions in all these places. There's black bear. Um, Honestly, man, I, people talk about it a bunch. And the only thing I worry about, and I not necessarily worry, you just have to be mindful of, um, is bears uh, because yeah. they will destroy your shit if you let them. Yeah. Um, you know, so we're hanging food during the day, uh, not you know, not keeping stuff in the tents during the day when we're not around for them to freaking rummage through your stuff. Yeah. Um, Man, over the years, I've had one incident with some mountain lions where I got a little edgy. Um, I had one on top of me, one below me. Oh, as I'm yeah, as I'm kind of easing my way, uh, I, I was going up this ridge, and uh, I noticed one of them. Like, oh damn, look at the mountain lion! And before I knew it, I was like, shit, there's one below me too. Like, and they both were looking at me. I, I kind of got <laughs> just a, a little uneasy. Like, what are you fuckers about to try? Yeah. Uh, but other than that, man, there's there's no real, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say there's a real threat to, to anything bugging you, you know, because yeah. um, you are the you are that apex predator. Yeah. Yeah, I think, if, like you said, even if a mountain lion is going to take something at you, they're, they've got to be hungry. they got to be bound to them that they really want to take that fight. Well, and that's the thing, you know, the, the, the attacks you do see are usually – uh an older lion or uh, you know a hurt lion or something that's uh that's basically uh pulling out all the stops to try to try to survive yeah yeah i i've i have heard that before too and it it's not very common um no but you you do hear the stories because those are those are profound stories that people definitely talk about <laughs> yeah. yeah what's the what's the biggest elk that you've pulled um, uh, I think mine is in uh, right under 340, which is not a not a big bull. Um, well, I, I don't. I'm sorry. Don't let me uh, don't let me downplay a 340 bull. Uh, a 340 inch bull is is a phenomenal bull. Um, yeah. There's there's just some bigger ones out there. Uh, yeah. But yeah, 340, and then of course I've killed some ganks and then, you know stuff like that but every single one of them man uh it's just like just like all my my white tail that i've killed out the years i can tell you and it's crazy man because you know you forget things uh throughout your your life and your experiences but for, for whatever reason i've i've not forgotten a single a single hunt or kill that's awesome that i've been involved with you know that's awesome yeah what yeah. you, so you do you do a lot more than just elk hunting. I know that's like kind of where we base this conversation, but like what like at, you go on your website what hardknockadventures.com. Right. Like South American and Canadian stuff. Like what what else do you offer as far as guided hunts? So uh, well let's start at the top. Um, Alaska, we do some fishing trips up there. Uh, I'm trying to bring on some uh, brown bear guys up there. Uh, I've not done it, oh, so really? and that's one thing about yeah, that's one thing about um, what we do. Every everything that I offer is a place that I've been as people that I know personally and experienced their trips yeah. uh, or guided for them. Um, so Alaska. Uh, fishing, we do bear hunts, deer hunts, moose hunts, waterfowl throughout Canada, um, Alberta, Manitoba, some Saskatchewan, um, and then down through the Rockies, we do uh, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico, elk and mule deer, mountain lion. I got some guys that do uh, some mountain lion stuff, bear in Colorado, New Mexico. Um, and then all the way down into whitetails in Kansas, turkey in Kansas, um, uh, like, uh, 
dang, I'm pheasant. I, was, I couldn't think of pheasant. Pheasant and chuckers and all that through Kansas and the Midwest. Um, whitetail, quail, turkey through Texas. Um, and then we do a bunch of fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. South America, um, I'm uh, more like uh, familiar with the dove hunting in South America, you know, in Argentina. In fact, uh, we're going to Argentina in February. Yeah, February 24th uh, to do some dove hunting and some duck hunting down there. All right. Um, yeah, and then uh, South America has a pretty cool game, big game stuff. They've got the, they've got the red stag. They've got uh, the, like a water buffalo deal. Okay. Uh, that's super. <laughs> super interesting uh just in different different places man. different uh just different cultures yeah is what that's the funny thing about each one of these places is they all have their their culture for their area in the way that they do things and they're all completely different man. but the outcome you know the end game is the same yeah and it, it makes it pretty cool what's your favorite place to hunt that you've guided so far uh damn Man, I um, I enjoy elk hunting. If you were if you were to say, all right, you can only hunt one thing for the rest of your life, what is it? It's gonna be September, late September elk in in the Rocky Mountains, you know, in Colorado. Yeah. Uh, is that the hardest to be, too? Is that the hardest hunt? Yeah, yeah, yeah no doubt. Yeah. Physically, the hardest. Uh, mentally, the hardest. Well, for me, yeah. Now now in you know in general in all of hunting no uh i think the hardest is your sheep hunting um oh. i made yeah your bighorn sheep or doll or stone uh, those guys holy shit man oh like what we're talking about elk hunting you, we're two levels above that when it comes to sheep hunting yeah um, <laughs> yeah you're literally scaling mountains at that point yeah yeah uh, I, I actually drew a sheep tag in Colorado last year. Uh, and I, that, that is by far the most demanding hunt physically, mentally, uh, holy shit, man. Um, yeah, lot, that was rough. Yeah. Yeah. You back? Yeah, I'm, I'm back now. Well, well, I heard that was rough. Uh, the sheep hunting. I, I drew a bighorn tag in Colorado last year, and I spent the month of August in the mountains. And uh, fuck, man. it was uh, dude, that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I missed at thirty four yards, dude. I, Dang, I, I know. <laughs> and I still to this day I can't tell you what happened. I just missed. Uh, that is the most heartbreaking moment in my hunting history. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if I could forget one thing, it'd be that. But uh, <laughs> that that one's ingrained. I gotta ask you: Have you ever have you seen uh, a yeti, a Sasquatch, Bigfoot, anything yet? <laughs> no, man. I'm, fucking, I'm waiting for it, though, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna have have a cup of coffee with this dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No shit, man. No shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, fuck, that's that's funny, man. Because you you see all these people that that see them and stuff. I'm not saying I don't believe, right? Uh, but <laughs> I I don't have any hunters' stories of seeing it. You know, it's always uh it's always the guy who's out there looking for it that sees it. It's never yeah, it's never someone who's out there like for forty <laughs> days a year like hunting some other right. yeah. I I always right. like I always make that joke just because like not that I don't necessarily believe either like there's a lot of shit i don't know and understand so sure there's there's a chance for everything right but i whenever i'm talking to someone who hunts like out that way i'm i'm always curious like you know and i don't maybe one person has ever been like i don't know there was something kind of weird but everyone else is like nah <laughs> well you know you say that i say that I, dude I've, I've got a couple I've got a couple things that I've seen that I can't explain, right? Yeah. Uh, I I don't know, but I don't think it was Bigfoot, right? <laughs> just I, I just don't know what the hell that is. There there are. That's one funny thing about about hunting in general is when you're out in the woods and like you are the only you know human being observing nature within so many miles. 
and the sun starts to rise and you're, you know, you're just sitting there. Uh, there's some, there's some noises and there's some shit in the woods that you, you can't describe. And, uh, right. and so you gotta just be like, well, <laughs> uh, something I'm not meant to know, I guess. <laughs> right. And that's, that's when dude, to be, I mean, I'm, I'm six foot one, 220 pounds, and, you know, like ask me, I'm a bad motherfucker. Right. But, uh, there's there's times when um, you see something or hear something that's in the dark and like what the fuck am I doing out here, man? Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> Start talking to yourself a little bit. Yes, right. As um, the sun comes up and turns out it was just a squirrel, but <laughs> right, yeah, sound like a six hundred pound squirrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last year I was out and there was it fucking something. It sounded like there was a a damn. 300 pound alligator in the river like beside where i was it was making so much noise and i couldn't see anything at all and i I was kind of freaking out a little bit like what is dredging through this river beside me and when the sun finally came up it was uh it was two muskrats right and they were just playing because i I thought the same thing i'm like I, i was i orientated myself in that direction in case i had to shoot it whatever it was i'm like i don't know this this thing sounds massive. It has two fucking little muskrats <laughs> playing in the river. <laughs> yeah, dude, those, those there have been points when I turn into a big freaking weenie in the woods, man. <laughs> you know, uh, but and it always turns out to be like, oh man, think. Yeah, I got you back there. Oh, there we go. Right on. Well, we're, we're right about an hour there, brother. So I'm gonna okay. go ahead and close it out. But so where? Where can people find you? Where can they they can find you on Instagram, you know, your website and all that good stuff? Yeah, uh, hardknockadventures.com. Um, that website is kind of – it kind of just goes over all the stuff we do. We're actually putting a bunch of changes in right now. Um, we do, we've been, I've been guiding for so long, and that's kind of what we do. But, man, with the kids and everything, I want to start doing some um, just some adventure stuff where we're – you know, taking people just backpacking, sightseeing, um, yeah. stuff like that. So we're going to start incorporating that here. Uh, so, yeah, hardknockadventures.com. Um, Instagram, same thing, Hard Knock Adventures. I've got a Facebook, Hard Knock Adventures. Uh, that's it, man. And then, you know, you can find me at yoga yeah. <laughs> a couple mornings, a couple of days out of the week when I'm in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, right on, brother. I'll link all that, too, in the, in the show notes and stuff like that. And also – um, you reminded me, I wanted to say this earlier on in the show, but um, from what I understand, Jacob is also going to be guiding a a nice meditative and sacred guided hike uh, between May 2nd and May 5th in northern Pennsylvania on a, on a little retreat that we're collaborating on. It'll be uh-huh. pretty badass. There'll be some cold plunging. There'll be some uh sound bowl stuff it'll be very disconnected from the modern world and very inclusive into the natural world and uh there'll be a lot of kick-ass stuff going on there that um jacob's going to be involved with too yep absolutely um uh we we have a lot of stuff going on right now man um just uh pay attention i guess keep (laughs) keep up with us and (laughs) it's good man we we you guys too. Like, I feel like we're all in moving in a, in a really good direction here lately. Uh, so it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I absolutely agree that the, the communities that are forming are, uh, they're all raising, they're all raising up together. And that's something that I, I really like to see. So I, I like to see all the, all the good shit going on. I like to see progression in a, in a positive way. So, uh, if, if there's yeah. anything else that you can think of um, that I could throw in the show notes too, like if you think of later, just let me know and I'll I'll throw it all in there. Okay, sounds good, man. I think we we covered quite a bit though, man. I'm, I'm I think so. Good with it. <laughs> right on, brother. Well, thanks thanks for joining me, man. I, I appreciate you. And I appreciate your time. Absolutely, bro. We'll talk later. All right, brother. Later. Bye.